So if it's your first time at RUF, every week we study the Bible. We study uh, this semester the Gospel of Mark from the New Testament, telling the story of Jesus. Um, if you have questions, you can text them to the number that's going to be on the screen here. And at the end, I'll do my best to take a shot at it. Um, but for now, we're going to look at Mark, uh, starting at chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to read some pretty huge chunks where Jesus tells some stories uh, that we are supposed to listen to. And so, uh, chapter 4, starting at verse 1 of Mark. Again, he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, or look, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, or did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let me pray. Lord God, we want to be those that hear the word and bear fruit. And we come to you now um, from all over the place. We're exhausted. It's midterms. We need you. Um, But we might not believe we need you. Some of us are here skeptical, curious, trying to figure this whole Jesus and Christian thing out. And so I pray, uh, Lord, that you would be with us and give us ears to hear, um, minds to understand, hearts to love, and hands to do. 
and we need you for this, so we pray in your name. Amen. So uh, not too long ago, I was sitting at home eating dinner with my family, and I'm sitting there enjoying my dinner at one with the universe, and then suddenly I hear Don say, Ben, I look up, I'm like, yeah, what? It's like, Benjamin just asked you a question, my son. I was like, yeah, I heard him. He said, what's the number of that Alabama guy? So he was asking me, who's, he had asked me a question about like, who's that guy that plays for Alabama that we talk about? What's his number again? And I was completely zoned out. I was like, no, I, 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 I heard him. I'm a good dad. He's, he's uh, Bo Scarborough, number eight, I swear. I was listening. I heard him because I was able to repeat back word for word what he had said to me. But I had to have someone say, Ben, what? I heard him, but I wasn't listening. In verse 3, Jesus introduces this really long parable. We're going to look at a few of them. There's a long one and a couple short ones that we're going to look at. But he introduces it saying, listen, and then behold, look. This is like alarming, like, hey, pay attention to what I'm about to say. And in verse 9, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What's he saying? These parables we're going to look at are forcing you not to just hear, but to listen. And it's confusing. He wants to warn us that we don't just hear, we don't just understand, but we need to listen closer, pay attention. You ever sat across the table with someone over lunch or coffee and you're telling them all the things you're stressed about and they kind of glaze over and they're like nodding, but you know they're not listening. And Jesus knows that we are that way, and he's saying, come to me and understand. So this first parable he tells us, where he tells us to look and to listen, it's this parable very famous of the soils, this idea of a farmer going out, throwing out seed, and it lands on different kind of soil, and the soil represents our hearts, the condition of our hearts. Uh, first kind of soil he talks about is the hard soil, the packed soil. And this is hard. It's like water off a duck's back. When he says the seed, the seeds that the sower is sowing represent the word of God. And I recently got my car washed and they said, would you like the Rain-X treatment? And I said, heck yes. <laughs> yes, I would like my car coated in Rain-X. And so I got it. And, you know, when the rain hits my car, it just, psh, just shoots right off. It's a beautiful. It's amazing. Um... <laughs> But our hearts can be like that, where the water comes down and we just go, eh, whatever. Uh, and God's word can come at us and we go, yeah, whatever. Like, not a big deal. Uh, I don't have time for that. Um, and there's different kinds of hardness of heart uh, against God's word. There's intellectual, right? There's like, okay, it's adorable that these people get together and they study this 2,000-year-old book and think it matters to them, and it's sweet and cute. But come on, get real. Like, does this really 
matter? Does this really mean anything? Can you really believe it? There's emotional hardness of heart. Some of you have been wounded very, very deeply in real and authentic and honest ways by people who profess to believe in God. You've been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by your parents. You've been hurt by other people. And so there's this, you know what? I'm not even going to listen to this. Like, this is just offensive. I don't want to hear it. And the water just flies right off. Or there's a spiritual hardness, which is a lot of you. Yeah, I grew up in the church. I went to Sunday school. This is the part in the sermon where you talk about Jesus. And I know what you're going to do. And I get the big thing. But I'm good. And so the seed hits the soil and it's gone. The water hits the windshield and it flies right off. Is that you? I've heard this. I get it. Nothing new. I'm not going to let it sink in. And then there's another kind of soil. It talks about the rocky soil. It's interesting. It says that first they receive it with joy. Like there's this, oh, this is amazing. God forgives me. I can know God. It's amazing. I'm shooting up. I'm excited. But the moment that things get tough, I'm out. This is an interesting thing about that rocky soil. He says that joy in God is not enough. You know one of the reasons we sing kind of weird songs in RUF? Is that just singing over and over again, God, you're so good, God, you're so good, God, you're so good, oh, 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 is superficial. That we want to sing songs that drive the gospel deeper into us, that joy alone is not enough. And once you have to examine deeper, you start taking out those rocks, what comes up is, leave me alone. Like, don't touch this part of my life. Don't touch my family. Don't touch my behavior. Or he talks about persecution coming. And we don't suffer like gun to the head persecution, thankfully, very, very rarely in our country. But it comes in subtle forms like, you believe believe what? Like you're in that cute little Christian group. It's hilarious. Oh man, I didn't think you were that kind of person. And because there's no depth, we recoil. What are the rocks in your soil? Like I'll let Jesus in only in so far, and I'll get excited about it, but once he starts digging around in my inner life and the word starts to push back on me, don't touch my motives. Don't touch why I do what I do. Don't touch my behavior, the thing that I want to go out and do. Don't become the central. Jesus, like, I like you. You're a good dude. But don't become the central operating principle of my life. Like, that's asking a lot. Here's the thing. The world needs deeper people. The world needs deeper people. Spirituality is not just a function of excitement and joy, though those are important and real, and we should have more of that. And it's not just busyness, though we should be active and doing good things. It's about depth. It's about this idea, this person, Jesus, penetrating our lives 
and transforming us through his word. There's the rocky soil, there's the hard soil, the rocky soil, and then there's the weeds. He describes the weeds, the seed, sun, and the weeds, and the weeds come up and choke it. He says the weeds are the cares of the world. It's, I sort of think of it as like a man who has a, like a good marriage and family, and then he has an affair, which is a really good friend of mine right now that I recently found out about. It happens. And everything's great. He's like, you know, I've got over here. And Jesus is saying, the cares of the world. And he says, the deceitfulness of riches come up and choke the fruit of the vine. And that one's so tricky. The deceitfulness, the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches. Um, it's tricky because it's deceitful. How do you know when you're being deceived? Like by, nefi- by definition, you don't. Because <laughs> you're being deceived. You believe it. And this idea of the deceitfulness of riches, and all of us, myself included, I want to I read this passage and I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm not rich. Like I'm not deceived, I'm not rich. You know that 80% of the world lives on $10 a day or less? $10 a day or less. And uh, I've been to Africa. I've been to Mexico. Um, this interesting thing happens when people like travel abroad from America and we go to third world countries. And you know what everyone says? We've been in a church and they come back from the mission trip and they say, those people were so... Finish my sentence. Happy. Yeah, they were so joyful. Even though they were poor. Oh, what a shock, right? When we say that, which we all do, that was my response in Africa and Mexico, Mexico less so, Africa more so. I'm like, wow, they're so happy. I can't believe it. They don't have the things I have. Because I believe in the gospel of riches, which means the thorns and the vines of riches are deceiving me and choking out the work of God's word in my life. I don't believe that's possible. That's how deep our our assumptions run. I'm not rich. 80% of humanity living on $10 a day. King Solomon in the Bible even, who was a wealthy man, blessed by God. He didn't have frozen strawberries in January. He didn't squeeze the Charmin, which I do. Every day, he didn't have instant hot water. He didn't have air conditioning. He didn't have a memory foam pillow. I'm pretty rich. Like, I'm living large. And for some of you, it's your parents. Like, what are you going to major in? Can you get a good job with that? You know, we... We've raised you to be accustomed to a certain standard of living, right? Now, here's the thing. The Bible is not actually anti-wealth. It's not. It's not a communist manifesto. It's not. It's really not. Uh, Read the book of Proverbs. It says good things about money and how we use it and how we steward it. It's not 
anti-wealth, and yet it warns us again and again and again from cover to cover, it's so deceitful. It's, wealth is so deceitful, and we of all people as Americans at William and Mary should be on guard. Am I being deceived? Am I buying in to something that is actually choking out the fruit of the kingdom of God in my life? It's a big deal. According to Jesus, the good life is a life lived in God's kingdom for his kingdom. In his kingdom and for his kingdom. And not just my own comfort and my own success. And so we say to ourselves, if I just had enough money, I'd be set. Well, later I'll be generous when I have enough. And as soon as those things are entering my mind and my heart and my mouth, I know like, whoa, I've been duped. I've been deceived. Then the last soil, the good soil. The good soil, the, the seed hits and it grows. It produces, it multiplies exponentially. What is good soil? The sower went out to sow. It hits the hard ground and the rocky ground and the weedy ground and the good ground. How did the good ground get good? The sower, a.k.a. farmer, tilled it. He dug up the rocks. He pulled out the weeds. He made it not hard. The sower is the one who tills it. You got rocks in your heart? You, you, Jesus is saying, Lord, pull, fill, pull these rocks out. You got weeds? Lord, let's get, the, let's get rid of that. Take it out in my heart of heart, Lord. Put the plow through. Break me up. This, this parable is telling us to check our hearts. He's not saying, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, we'll throw the word out. And if you're hard-hearted or rocky-hearted or... Th- he's telling this story to people who are listening. And he's saying, what kind of soil do you have? So ask the farmer to do something about it if you think it's not in the right place. Does that make sense? Well, what for? I love this quote. Real quick. Frederick Bruner says, The story of Jesus inebriates the heart. And there's this idea of like alcohol, like, whoa, it makes me. But it's also this idea of like it loosens it up. It tills the soil. That's what he's saying. Well, what for? Why do we even want the seed to grow in the first place? Verse 21. And he said to them, he goes on telling stories, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He's saying that again. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be, will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he has, or Luke says what he thinks he has, will be taken away. This is a metaphor of light. He's saying light is to be seen and not hidden. 
And this tendency, he points out, for us to hide the light, to put it under a basket, to put it under the bed, to put it under the table, to not show others around us. And then this creepy warning that he gives that the more you have of light, the more you get of light. And if you don't have enough, even what you have is taken away. It's this warning from Jesus that says, I'm giving you light in what I'm saying. Light lets us see what's around us. And Jesus' word is showing us the world as it is. But when we cover that light, when we mute that light, when we don't share that light with other people so that they can see the way, he's saying even the light that you have will be taken away. Which is terrifying. And your light may be declining because you're never sharing your faith. You're never acknowledging, if you're a Christian, you're never acknowledging to other people around you that this is like a thing for you. And a thing for you that actually matters. And a thing that actually shows you how to live. But it's this sort of... I feel like at William & Mary, we think about Christianity, we think about RUF, we think about ministry, we think about the Bible, like the one ring. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. You know, like, I've got my Christian friends with my but I'm going to keep it secret. Keep it safe. And Jesus is saying, no, you put it on the stand. And you let people see it, not ostentatiously, not self-righteously, not like a jerk who, I've got the light and you all are in darkness. Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. No. But that you are telling people about the gospel. Um, But this idea in Jesus' immediate audience where he's saying like, The one who thinks he has, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. He's speaking to a very religious group. People who know the Bible, who know the Old Testament, and who think that they've got it. And he's saying, even the thing that you think that you have, if you miss me in the process, it will be taken away. If you're not using that light to be a blessing to others, it's going to go out. You're not going to have anything. But you might hear this and you say, okay, like I'm trying. Like I'm trying to live my life. I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying to appropriately and winsomely and lovingly share it with the people around me. But I'm just not seeing anything happen. Like I've got my little candle shining my light, but like nothing is happening. I'm not seeing the results. Verse 26. And then he said, the kingdom of God is is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. So he's back to the whole farming metaphor. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle. Because the harvest has come. There's this idea that the seed grows. And he's echoing back to his first parable of the soft soil, of the good soil, where fruit is coming out. But it's this interesting thing where 
I love it. Like the person who's sharing the word of God is like, I'm going to, I'm going to bed. And like, oh, wow, how, what's, okay, that's happening. Some stuff's coming up. I don't know how, but it's happening. This notion that the growth of God's word and God's kingdom doesn't come just through you and me, but that God causes the growth himself. The earth causes the growth. He knows not how. He doesn't even know what's happening, but it produces something beautiful and good. Sweet corn. Growth. But it's also slow and it's mysterious. I don't know how it's growing. It's it's a mystery. And it's difficult to measure. Um, I hear from a lot of you a lot. I just don't feel like I'm growing. I don't feel like I'm growing. You know who else I hear that from? My kids. Some of you guys remember Jenny Mackey, uh, who was an intern here, and she came back to visit recently. And she came into our front door, and she saw our kids, and she said, What? All of you have grown a foot. And then Phoebe, our three-year-old, looked at her and she said, I already had both my feet. (laughs) 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 You grew a foot. Oh, man. So funny. Um, But she didn't understand what Jenny was saying because Phoebe's three And she doesn't realize that six months ago she was shorter. But she's been growing like crazy. And it's the same way with us physically. It's the same way with plants. Like you ever watch grass grow? Even something like kudzu that grows like 18 inches a day. Like if you were to like set up a lawn chair and try to watch kudzu, that's like the fastest growing plant on earth. Like you might as well watch paint dry. Like it's super tedious You won't even be able to observe it in your mind, but it's growing. It's growing like crazy, and so are you. You're growing. And actually, I would say if you're the kind of person that's like, I don't think I'm growing, I'm freaking out about that. That's actually a good sign. The people who are like, I'm growing, I'm loving the Lord, (laughs) might actually be the people in the rocky soil who jump up quickly with joy and exuberance, and eyes closed and hands waved. There's no depth. Are you growing? There's nothing wrong with closing your eyes and waving your hands, by the way. I'm just saying. That's great. But is it deep? Is it real? Is it based in something deeper? And sometimes you might think, does the word even matter? Like, does this even matter... I think that a lot. I uh, was speaking at a camp not too long ago to some middle schoolers. And I was supposed to speak Friday night and Saturday night and Sunday morning. And Friday night, it was just a train wreck. I mean, I was, I was I bombed. It was the worst. And Saturday morning, I was like, what am I doing here? Like, this is, a, this is stupid. <laughs> like... They hate me. Like, they were, like, talking. Like, you guys are great because you're, like, smart and you're, like, academically engaged, at least at some level. And these were, like, middle schoolers, and they were like, "Uh, just shut up. Please stop talking. We just want to ski. You know, like, that was their thing. It was a ski retreat. We just want to ski. Shut up. And uh, 
They were literally saying that. Um, no, they weren't. They didn't actually say that. But they were saying it to each other. Like, don't you want him to stop talking? And, um, but then the next night, it was unbelievable. I, I don't know what happened. Like, they were just like, wait, what? Jesus, what now? Can we talk about this? Like, it was unbelievable. And here I am throwing seed, thinking this is a waste of my time. And you might feel that way too. Like, I feel that way as, like, as a minister. But you feel that way if you're a believer. You're like, I'm, I'm being faithful. I'm thinking. I'm, I'm doing the thing. I'm in vibe. But no one cares. And God says, you have no idea. The sower sows the seed and he goes to bed. And then something happens. He knows not how. But God will build his fruit. Okay, but what's the end game? Verse 30. And he said, With what can I compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall I use for it? She love when Jesus asks a question. <laughs> Jesus, the Son of God. Guys, what do you think would be a good metaphor for the kingdom of God? What, what, what can I compare it to? And he goes on. <coughs> verse 31. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown onto the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and it becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make their nests in its shade. This idea of this mustard seed, which in their day would have been the smallest seed you could see. By the way, some people object. They're like, there's smaller seeds. And the mustard seed I biology class. Um, like, that's not what he's saying. Like, that's, of course, ridiculous. Um, but the, this idea, what he's saying is like, this is an itty-bitty, itty-bitty thing. And then it goes out, and something amazing happens. And, and here's this cool thing where he talks about the birds uh, previously. He's talking about th- throwing out the seed, and the birds come, and they scoop it away off the hard ground. What do the birds do here? They make their nests in its branches. And he's stacking these on top of each other. And he's saying, yeah. Sometimes you throw out the seed and a bird comes and devours it and it's gone. But when the seed takes root, the thing that would have killed the word finds shelter in the word. It's incredible. In the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel and Ezekiel, birds of the air are used as a metaphor to describe the nations of the world, even enemy nations invading nations. And what Jesus is picking up on that, and he's saying, when my kingdom comes, when it takes root in the soft soil of my people's heart, it bears fruit, it grows up, so that enemies... Come and find shelter from the storm. People that would, would want to destroy the word find comfort in it, in my kingdom. It's true of people groups. It's also true of individuals. I think of Paul. Saul, somebody texted me last week, which by the way, if you have questions, text him there. Saul Paul, who was an enemy of the gospel, who was actively trying to stop it from happening and killing people, participating in killing people who were talking about Jesus, and then he comes and he makes his nest in the kingdom of God. It's true of people, groups, and individuals. It's true of Paul. Could it be true of you? 
Could it be true of your friend, your hallmate, that you think has no interest in all this stuff? Could they come and find shelter from the storm? And then finally, Jesus reminds us again to listen and to keep listening. Verse 33, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples. He explained everything. It's an incredible thing that he's saying, this is a secret. And I'm speaking in parables. And he says in part that he does it to confuse people at large. But he's saying, I'm telling these stories and I'm giving you the clues But those clues are not there just to put you off. The clues are there to draw you closer. So he said in private, in secret, he would explain everything to his disciples who wrote the New Testament. So that you and I can come with them and go, okay, what's this about again? Explain that parable? Because you notice when he first tells the parable, the very first one we looked at, the parable of the sower, nobody understood Nobody knew what he was talking about. It was weird. It was off-putting. It was strange. It didn't make sense. But they went to Jesus. And they said, tell us. Jesus tells these stories. Jesus tells these parables. Not because they're cool illustrations. Not to make things more clear. But to say to us and to his disciples, come closer to me and I will show you. The secret is here, but it's an open secret. And so, I would say to you, like, are the cares of the world choking you? Like, the weeds. Go to Jesus. Say, explain this to me. Take, tear out the weeds. I don't really see this amazing rapid growth of the kingdom. Oh, wait, the mustard seed. It's small, but it grows. I don't see myself kind of pouring myself out to other people. But I want to, oh yeah, the measure that you use will be measured against you. The light that you have, if you use it, it will expand. If you hide it, it will go away. Oh, I want to share that. I want it to go out. I want to use what I have for the sake of other people. Go to Jesus for more understanding. As he's telling these stories to draw us closer to Himself, And here's what's so amazing. Jesus and John, he talks about a seed. He says, does the seed have any use? Unless it goes into the ground and dies. And after it dies, it bears fruit. John also tells us that Jesus himself is the word. The seed in these parables is the metaphor For the word of God. Jesus himself is the physical word of God. And he's saying. Unless I go into the ground. And die. I won't bear fruit. He's not just telling us stuff. That's going to make us better people. But he's saying. I'm the very thing that's going to die. And grow up. So that you can live. So that you can bear fruit. Unless a kernel of wheat dies. It remains only a seed. But if it dies. It bears much fruit, he says in John chapter 12, which is exactly what he did. 
And sometimes it's exactly what he's calling us to do with him. So let's pray that we would be those that go to him and live like him and look like him and maybe even die like him so that we can live like him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the seed that goes out. We pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. We pray that we would bear a whole lot of fruit, not for our own sake, but for the sake of our neighbors and the sake of your kingdom. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand up, guys, and we're going to sing a couple more songs.